Ready? There we go. Well, good morning, guys. How y'all doing this morning? Good. Doing fine. Good. It's good to see y'all. Are y'all caffeinated up and ready to go? Yeah, yep. I've uh, I've got a good reserve here. Yeah, same here. I, I may uh, uh, I'd hate to go black on you to get to go tank up again, but if I do, you know what'll happen. So. Okay, uh, I I may trail off because I've not even gotten over to to get that Keurig started to get coffee going. So I'm I'm drinking straight H two O this morning. So oh, I no, may, no 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 maybe a uh, low energy today. <laughs> no no no. Yeah, there, there are all kinds of political jokes we could make out of that, but we won't. So. Definitely. Well, guys, we have got a lot to go over today. Uh, we have got uh, chapters 13 through 18 we want to go over. And as, as if that's not enough, we've got a numberless chapter in our reading called The Excursus that we want to, to also touch on today. But before we do that, uh, Marvin, you just got home from vacation yesterday. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. All right. So you left Sunday afternoon and you got back Sunday afternoon or Sunday. Sunday I got yes, I got yes yesterday afternoon, yes. All right. So one good week. Well, 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 give us some highlights and give us some lowlights. What was the best thing about vacation? What was the worst? And what are some of the, the things you, you, you did? I, I know you try to kind of read a book that's sort of outside of your normal, you know, reading yeah. and things like that. So just give it give us the lowdown on that. Well, I'll start with the second one. The, the worst part is always the heat. I'm not a fan of summer. One of the reasons why I don't like going to the beach so much. Uh, it stands at cross purposes with, uh, with the family though. The, the sisters love the heat because they love the pool. If it cools off some, the pool feels, feels bad to them. So I don't know. So anyway, uh, was, uh, thankful for a big house, uh, air conditioning and a deck where I could go out and see the ocean and listen to the waves when I wanted to maybe catch a little bit of sun. But other than that, I just, um, uh, followed my, uh, and, uh, followed my plan. And again, uh, the, the best part is indeed I, I did take, I did take uh, quite a few books. I took, uh, our readings for today to try to finish up those. There are two or three others. One thing I did do, there is a uh, bookstore about, a half mile from where just a traditional bookstore. And I was browsing through and found a copy of George Orwell's 1984 for $10, a paperback. I mm. said, well, uh, that's a good price. So I went in and bought it and I've been reading that. Uh, and you know, when people say, uh, that it's meant as a book, not as an instruction manual, <clears throat> I, I, I don't, I don't know if you guys have read it. Uh, most people either read it in high school or in college. Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't either school. I, I didn't either. Uh, <clears throat> so again, it's been, it's been most interesting. Uh, uh, the first part of the book, I just had to stop and just reflect on some things. There were some philosophical questions and other things. I mean, he's just an extraordinary writer. Uh, so anyway, I've, I've enjoyed that and I'm taking too much time with that, but, uh, but that's, that's the best and the worst. Mm, awesome. But now, now, as you were talking, I said I read it. I, I need to clarify that. I read the Cliff Notes because okay. we were going to have a test on it. So, uh, yeah, I, and, I and you were in high school, right? Yeah, I don't recall okay. reading any whole book in high school at all. Right. Uh, we, we 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 were so cheap. We uh we would of course we'd procrastinate until like the night before, two nights before, and then me and my buddies we would load up in the car. We would run about half an hour, half an hour to Mobile. 
go to the B Dalton booksellers in the mall and yeah. we would go to the cliff notes rack. You know, they always had them on a rack. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like comic yeah. book rack. Separately. We would, we would find the book we were going to read and we just sit there and just kind of blow through it real quick and then go home. And then hopefully, you know, we're, we're praying, you know, us all being lost. This is the only time we prayed Lord, please at least let us get a C. So. Yeah. Well, it is, uh, it, it does warrant a, a reading as an adult, particularly a mature adult. And I say mature in terms of age, um, because again, it is alarming uh, in its uh, insights and and its applications. So good, 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 good book to read. Well, Mike, what what have you had going on? What's what, what's something big you can spring on us over the last week, or maybe even yesterday? Small group worship service. Uh, well, see, over the last week, I, I guess I'd say is uh, we. Kathleen's done most, done all the painting, but uh, pulling all the furniture and to the center of the uh, our living room, and um, and then uh, painting Kathleen painting uh, repainting the living room and the hallway and then up the stairwell. And what was really challenging about that is, you know, with the stairwell, it's it's very difficult to get up to reach the very top of the ceiling and do the detail work. So we're sitting there rigging up. Um, and probably if OSHA was around, they would, they would uh, fight us. But uh, holding the uh, extension ladder where Kathleen could get up there and paint. So, I mean, it's like uh, we use these thick volume books and cover them with towels and then put where both legs can rest on, on steps and an extension of the steps. And I'm pushing it against the ladder to keep it uh, from moving while she's at the very top. You did notice that, right, Marvin? He, so that was he's the, got uh, Kathleen going to the, the top the of the ladder. Wow, did you, did you hear what I just said to Marvin? No. I, I told Marvin, I said, you did hear that, Marvin. He's got Kathleen going to the top of the ladder. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what sounded like what would happen around our house, too. So, Yeah. Not that we I would got, send her up there. She would just jump on it. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, guys, let's let's plunge into this, and we want to start off in our, in our first chapter, and, and here we're talking about um, natural theology and theistic arguments, and I know some of these things can get uh, a little complicated. Sometimes we're dipping over into the, the, the philosophical here, but, but let's just start off. Let, let, let's talk about natural theology, and let's also talk about theistic arguments and what those two things are. So, uh, so we have natural revelation, and then we have natural theology. And, and I like how Beaky di distinguishes those two. Natural revelation is basically uh, God's doing, and natural theology is our doing. So natural revelation, God is the creator. He has created everything, and he reveals himself through his creation. So we can look at creation, and this is Romans 1, classic Romans 1, that, that uh, everyone is without excuse. We can look at what God has made, the, the external creation, and we can see certain uh, things about God that we can know and understand, even uh, how God has created us. We've got the inward witness of our conscience, which again reveals God, and it really reveals his standard because uh, our conscience goes along with the perfect standard uh, of God. And so we see that, and that is natural revelation. But now when we talk about natural theology, and we're talking about doing theology, that is something that, that we're doing. We, we are looking at natural revelation 
And then we are trying to study that. And, and it is our study of that from which we are trying to derive some things that we can know and understand about God. And so, uh, so basically when we look at that, there's some good things about that and there are some bad things about that. And, and really one of the good things is that Beaky points out that this is profitable for, uh, for evangelistic efforts and for the church. So in our evangelistic efforts, it allows us to be able to talk to people to show that, you know, we have a witness and, and you know, this witness, you see the creation just as well as people who are born again, see the creation. So, you know, this, this shows who God is, this, this tells us something about God, but also as Beaky says, it's for the church. We can look at a creation and we see all these wonderful things by which we can uh, give God praise and we can give God worship for, for what he has done. So, so when we look at these, naturally, this, this leads to, to theistic proofs. And Marvin, maybe you're, you're a good one to talk about this. I know your, your whole, you know, your, your, your terminal degree, your PhD was in the world of philosophy. And I know these theistic arguments can kind of spill over into that. But would you mind just sort of bottom lining it and, and, and in a nutshell, putting it to us what 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 is a theistic argument what are we arguing for and uh and maybe just some insights as to maybe some names you can drop or some ways people have gone about that that are good ways and maybe some ways that are not good ways well i i i think you've you've given us a good a good background on that a theistic argument essentially would be um uh, the the approach that the church makes in order to reach the culture or to try to uh, or try to argue for the existence of God to culture and it, it this kind of kicks off the remaining next chapters in our reading uh, which we'll cover in turn but but essentially what it does is to argue from the elements of creation as you say what we would call natural revelation uh, to show the, what seems to be the inescapable proof that God exists. Uh, now there are two, there, there are two problems with that, at least two. Uh, one is that from a philosophical standpoint, none of the arguments are particularly satisfying. Um, I know one thing, one thing I did over vacation and I'll probably talk a little bit more about that as we go along was to listen to a was to listen to a debate uh, that I guess I had uh, been a part of or had been a, a, in the audience of over 40 years uh, the the classical proofs for the existence of God, as opposed to presuppositional apologetics. And in that I, I found it. Uh, and again, as we go through the chapters, I think this is key to understand. I, I found interesting in fact, at that point that he had been I guess, on a flight with RC for four hours. I don't know. Maybe they were going somewhere together. I don't know, but they had a, a chance to talk and hash a lot of these things out. The biggest point of contention between them is the natural revelation we receive. How do we receive it? Um, Bonson would say that's immediate knowledge. That is that 
the creation itself is a witness to God. And as such, it impresses itself upon us uh, with a compelling power uh, that brings us to, to know that, not just acknowledge, but to know that God exists and that he is a God who is worthy to be worshipped. Uh, they both agree on that. The, the, the issue is the, what the philosopher and the theologian call the noetic effects of sin. And that is, okay, what, the, what effect does the fall have upon our reasoning? Um, and where that is, uh, and where that is a, a key here is, um, they would argue the fact that, well, Bonson would argue that, uh, it is an immediate, uh, it is for the unbeliever, an immediate distortion of what they know to be true so much so that they will do anything other than to adopt it and believe in it. Um, and as such, uh, and I won't get into it now, but we probably will as the chapters progress. As such, it is uh, it, it is an unreliable it is an unreliable means really to argue. Uh, Spruill would say, no. I mean, he he would fully concede the noetic effects of sin. They would fully agree on that. As again, Beaky points out with Calvin. Calvin, I think, is the bridge to that. But he, he would say, no, I mean, it's, uh, he, he, yeah, fallen man will filter this general revelation or this, uh, this natural knowledge of, of God through that. Uh, but nonetheless, it is still, it, it, we still have a grounds upon which we can argue with them or we can try to present our case to them uh, from the effects of the world, what they should know by natural revelation, but which they do, but which they pervert. And so there still is grounds there actually to press the case with them. Um, the second, the second aspect, the first aspect of that was that it's not particularly philosophically uh, uh, compelling. And I think everybody would agree with that. Um, secondly, is the fact that if it were that it, uh, being a theistic argument that it is uh, its only purpose really is to argue for the existence of God uh, without any definition at all. Uh, basically we are just saying that uh, we're bringing to the point away. Uh, there must be a first cause for everything. There must be a being for which uh, uh, there a being for which uh, there can be no greater being uh uh, that there can be uh, a purpose or meaning, uh, which, or for design, uh, uh, all of creation cries out for a design because of the intricate nature of it. There has to be one who stands above it to do it, and, and so forth. Uh, and at the very, at the very best, that argues for that particular aspect of the deity. Uh, but uh, it is a god. Uh, and not not particularly, and I think Beaky would say this as well. Not particularly the God of the Bible. Uh, that's where he said, would say special revelation comes in. And and in all fairness, the classical apologists would say that as well. That you cannot reach a a full and a saving knowledge of God through natural revelation or natural theology, or cannot argue to that. So that would be the way I would pick up on it. Okay. Thanks, Marvin. And, and I got a question for you. And, and Mike, I, I want to get you in here after I asked this question to Marvin, just to, just to see what, uh, what was really the big punch of this chapter that, that you saw there that really just communicated to you 
in the in the realm of natural theology theistic arguments but but marvin let me, let me just ask you that okay. that sounds like one of the uh the the major downfall of theistic proofs or theistic arguments is trying to argue for the existence of god uh outside of and really divorced from special revelation scripture right. yeah and, leave the uh, bible out we'll we'll argue just on the basis of facts itself and, yeah. But well, we won't use the argue the the Bible. Then at that point, where we where we paint you into a corner and you say, "Okay, there has to be something out there," then we bring in special revelation. Okay, right. let me de let me define that for you. Right, right. I like what <clears throat> Beaky says uh, when he's given the the different descriptions of theistic arguments. His very last one, number twelve, he says this. He says theistic arguments are at best like the law that convicts. Yep. cannot save so yep. it, it it is it, it can show us a certain amount of god but it doesn't really show right. us the the yeah. true god who has revealed himself in scripture it, it, yeah and, and again that's that's the case um uh, and again i mean you know it's important to make a distinction between apologetics and evangelism um i mean they are both towards the same end that is to bringing the unbeliever to a point to where they were without excuse uh, apologetics is, I guess, more of a second order type of, um, uh, means of taking the effects of the world arguments, things like that, and using it. Whereas evangelism is just a strict, uh, bringing forth and proclamation of the gospel. Uh, and it appeals, as you say, to the law and gospel distinction. Um, whereas apologetics, I guess, goes about it in a roundabout way. Mm -hmm. okay yeah and let, let me correct myself i think a while ago i said that uh natural revelation uh does not show us the god who is revealed in scripture it does show us the god who's revealed in scripture just just not in his totality of, of right. what we need it's just enough to show us uh, our need you know how we fall short yep. but it's not enough to show us you know the gospel and, and how we can have reconciliation with this God who is a creator. Yeah, it's sufficient to condemn us. Yeah. 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 So, so Mike, let me throw it to you, brother. So in, in this chapter, talking about these two subjects of uh, natural theology and, and theistic proofs, what, what, what really stood out to you about it? Well, um, what stood out to me about it is in it. So uh, when I got, I guess, into the reading and rereading, when I got around to the bottom of page uh, 234 and there, he's talking about that. And uh, he mentions, you know, I, in earlier pages I've written, you know, it's it's what's seen, you know, with the with the general revelation. It's what generally what is seen with our eyes. But then it just and in, in, in the in more into the chapter, it also starts talking about just the importance of uh, 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 knowing about God. But, the you know, the. the uh, the re revelation of God in scripture. And that what I thought was very, that just sent the message and maybe it's implied, but you know, you have the general revelation, but then the special or special revelation, uh, it, you know, I, I, get, I, I would use the word link, but maybe that's not a good word, but the uh, supernatural special revelation ignites one's understanding of of, of uh, general revelation, the importance of general revelation, and how it can be used. So, uh, I would say that uh, the supernatural revelation 
that we have in God's word it ignites our should should ignite our understanding of the uh, of the importance in, of general revelation. I mean that's that's what I said. It, it's not about with the with the uh, natural uh, theology. It's like a, the the person you know. I'm I'm in the center of the universe. Uh, it's all about me. But no, it's not. It's about God, and that that's where special revelation, that supernatural revelation, just to me, it just ignites the understanding. And how we can use general revelation and, and our witness to, to non-believers. Well, I think not only that's a great point. I think not only that, I think also uh, it becomes a very, a very valuable blessing to the Christian uh, special revelation whenever we come to know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ through saving faith. Uh, uh, it is uh, it is marvelous in the sense that it allows us in a sense to use this word to backfill the things we come to, uh, we come to appreciate and to love the things of creation, even more understanding, understanding from that, what the, uh, what the unbeliever only understands in part. Yeah, right. Absolutely. absolutely. And it's a, I think it's a theme that Beaky consistently brings through the book. And again, it's one of the things I think we all like about it is just, just the pastoral uh, style that he adopts through the entire book. Yeah. I mean, yeah, man, yeah, you and I have read systematic theologies that are far from that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're good and they touch on aspects of that, but really I I've never read one that ended with a hymn and a doxology and a set of questions at the end. So yeah, yeah it's, it's meant, it's meant not only for the scholar, but it's also meant for the, for the church member as well yeah yeah the only other one i know that's that's close to that that does a little bit of that at, at the end of every chapter wayne grudem has some yeah some of those things questions and some right. sort of you know uh, uh implications that cause us to want to praise right. god for the truth that we've learned so let's let's go on and let's let's look at this excursus now uh i'll throw it out to either one of you what does that word mean uh, I, I don't know if anyone who's listening to us has used that word in the last two or three months, probably. So what is excursus? E-X-C-U-R-S-U-S. What does that word mean? I, I think it would be, again, I may be completely wrong about this. I, I think it would uh, be, in a sense, the equivalent of, uh, of uh, what Bunyan would use in Pilgrim's Progress of a by-road or a byway. In other words, whenever you're traveling along the road, you kind of branch off for a while and you uh, you explore some some particular aspect. In other words, it doesn't advance you down the road. It basically, in a sense, illustrates illustrates something that you need to know. And that's mm -hmm. the way I take this as well. Uh, curses means to run. Uh, X means to round, run around, basically. Uh, but it means to take a temporary to take a temporary beat here. Uh, and just, uh, let's, let's think about what we just, what we just read and think about it, uh, in a way that kind of gets us off the, the track a little bit, uh, but helps, I think really to burrow down on a point that we really need to understand more fully. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and also in this case, it really has a lot of contemporary implications for us as well. Uh, I think Van, I've, I've told you and Mike, I'm sure I've told you as well as I was, looking forward to reading this is because this indeed is among reformed Baptists. This is one of the, uh, one, uh, a topic that's a, that is a top of the queue right now. 
Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And again, I mean, it's actually dividing some brothers from each other, sadly, uh, when really there's no need to do that, but it, it is a bigger point of discussion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, <laughs> excuse me. So in this excursus, he's basically going to go down. He's talked about what, um, what natural theology is and what uh, theistic proofs are. And he's given us some, some details of that. Now he's going to go through the, the historical development of that. So he's going he's gonna to go through church history. He's going to drop some names here, how they approached uh, uh, both of these subjects, both natural theology and uh, theistic proofs. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but, but one, of the, one of the guys we have to hit being here, and like you said, Marvin, his name is all over Twitter right now. It is a source of controversy within the reformed world. So we have to uh, take a gander at Aquinas here. Okay. Right. So, uh, uh, and I'll just read uh, a little bit of what Beaky writes here on page 252. He's going to give basically uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas's five theistic proofs, his five ways. That's just, uh, it, it's a classic. Uh, anytime you're taking uh, uh, Christian philosophy or you're taking, you know, apologetics or things like that, you always go to this. Anytime you talk about theistic proofs, you always, uh, no matter who you're talking about, Aquinas is always in there with his, with his five ways or five proofs. Right. So here's what Beaky says. He says this, um, second paragraph on page 252, he says, the theologian most closely associated with natural theology is Thomas Aquinas, who advocated a limited use of Aristotle's thought insofar because it did not contradict the Holy Scriptures. And then he goes on to say, however, based upon Paul's teaching, Aquinas did believe that God's existence can be demonstrated through what he created. And then he gives these five ways. It says Aquinas wrote, the existence of God can be proved in five ways, namely, number one, argument from change. And then he defines that. All motion comes from something else, but an infinite series of movers would never start moving. So there is an unmoved first mover. And then number two, an argument from causation. And he says, everything in this world must have a cause prior to itself. And an infinite series of causes is impossible. So there must be a first cause. Number three, argument from contingency. Natural things do not necessarily have to exist. And so their existence must arise from something that necessarily exists of itself. And then number four, argument from perfection. All goodness comes from something with more goodness, and therefore there must be something of perfect goodness at the root of it all. And then number five, there's the argument from design. And he says, many things in nature lack intelligence, and yet they often act with evident design to produce good results, which implies a wise designer. And so uh, he goes on to talk about Aquinas. And uh, so how are how are we to, to view Aquinas these days with his, um, with his five ways and, 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 and those things like that. And what, what was the, how did the reformation, uh, and the, all those cast of characters appropriate him or not appropriate him? How do they use him or not use him? Um, well, I think, uh, I think he does a good job of working through the reformers on that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Lutheran tradition, he works on Luther, who at the first seems to be someone who's quite skeptical of Aquinas' Aquinas's arguments, which again would be natural in the, his stance toward the Catholic Church. He makes the point that Melanchthon later with it seems with uh, uh, with uh, Luther's approval in the Loki Communis um, actually seems to to um, to do the uh, to do the opposite. Um, but in the reformers, I think you see kind of a microcosm of what you see today. Uh, some of them lean very, without dropping names because we don't have the time to do that, as you said. Uh, but you, you see some that lean pretty heavily towards Aquinas on this and saying that there can be a case, there can be a, a rational case made for God's, for God's existence. Uh, through these, um, uh, again, understanding the reform view of this is that man will distort these to his own purpose. And again, that's one of the arguments as to why they're not in the end completely satisfying. Maybe they're not designed to be that. I don't know. But, uh, but then again, I think that the interesting thing he does here when he discusses Calvin, because everybody, whether you're Van Til or whether you're a classical apologist, everybody wants to go back to Calvin and claim him. As their own, it was interesting, uh, 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 and uh, in listening to this debate last week, um, John DeWitt, actually, who was professor of theology and church history at the uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, at that time there was only one Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, but again, he 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 said to uh, Bonson and and to Sproul. He says, I think both of you have Calvin wrong, which again, is kind of, it's kind of illustrative of what we're saying here. Everybody, everybody has their take on Calvin. Uh, um, I think Beaky, I think has a moderate view of this in the sense that he says, Calvin. Yeah. I mean, he, if any of the reformers, he probably is uh, more attuned to the noetic effects of sin. Man is an idol maker by nature. Uh, But again, he still does seem to make, uh, to approach the unbeliever with arguments. Now, the point that Beaky makes, which I think is extremely important, is the fact that Calvin never spins these out as Aquinas does into multi-point, uh, uh, into multi-point uh, layered arguments for the existence of God. Uh, Beaky makes a point that they're always very simple. Uh, they're always very. They're always very direct. Uh, but he, he makes use of reason in order to press home these points. What should seem to be evident to you, it's not. And it's because you're suppressing the truth. Mm-hmm. And again, he would, uh, he would make, uh, he would use reason in defense of that, not in an extended way, uh, but as a tool, if you will, in his apologetic, uh, bag, um, and um, I, I thought that was I thought that was a good and a fair and a measured approach to Calvin. I, I don't know that it particularly relieves the controversy, uh, but I think it does show us that. Um, and, and again, I don't think Beaky, I don't think Beaky makes the case here. And I think he would agree uh, that Calvin has any kind of dependence on Aqu- on uh, Aquinas. Uh, yeah, he, he doesn't yeah. feel like he needs Aquinas. Yeah, yeah, basically, and and again, I mean, you got to go to Calvin and his his doctrine of total depravity 
comes in on this because he's basically exactly. saying, oh, okay, you guys, Aquinas and, and your whole crew, yeah, you can go to creation and you can get certain things that you see about God and certain things that would lend toward the proof of God. But the thing is, is once you get those proofs and as you're assimilating those proofs, you're bringing it up to the bar of reason. And he says, yeah. your reason is, is depraved. And so you, you're yeah. never going to get there from here. So, so you can't be untethered from right. special revelation. You can't be untethered no. from the truth of the word of God. You have to have the word of God. And uh, here's what Beaky says, top of 257. He says, although Calvin rejected all non-Christian natural theologies, he did not reject God's general revelation or the possibility of Christians using natural theology for apologetics and edification. Calvin compared our situation to an old man with poor vision who cannot read a book until putting on spectacles. So the Holy scriptures enable us to read God's glory in the created world. So that to me, and that, that seems like the common theme there. And, and it would be interesting. I, I've not had the time to really read deeply into some of these things that are the current controversies. I see a few of them on Twitter with Aquinas, but I would like to see to the degree that there is this, um, reappropriating of Aquinas, how much they're letting Aquinas stand on his own with his five ways and just, you know, his own philosophical human reasoning and how much they are, they are connecting Aquinas saying, okay, Aquinas takes us this far. Now we have to go to special revelation, the word of God to get all the way to where we need to be. And then I'll just say this, then I'll throw it uh, to both of you guys, Mike, to, to you and to, to Marvin. Uh, let me go back a page because I have to read this. Uh, on page 255, Beaky writes, philosophical speculation about God, according to Luther. Now, this is Luther, so we're going to get mm -hmm. colorful here. According to Luther, is powerless to bring men to God, and Aristotle is almost entirely useless. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's, that, uh, that's uh, Luther again. there. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's direct. It's a table talk. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it's the kind of thing probably quoted from, you know, those, those meals around the, around the, around the, the, the table. Um, as he says, Melanchthon goes on as he often did and, and to try to civilize Luther. Um, but I don't know, yeah. uh, maybe for good or bad. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Mike, what, what do you make of all this? Mike, we're thinking about, you know, uh, the, creation uh and how that reveals god and natural theology and when it looks like you know you have philosophers and men who are trying to push the envelope to prove god and almost be able to say hey we can create this evangelistic connection with people with people who say i don't want to hear about the bible i don't want to hear about the okay well we don't have to hear about it let me put the bible to the side and i can prove to you god with the bible laying over there and us not even open it is that even can we do that mike is is that what they're saying well, that might be what they're saying, but no, you got to bring the word of God back into it. Um, um, and I, I like, it's kind of like along with the blind man, but I like what you were just prior to on page 255. You know, we have, with, it says with the rise of modern science, the confidence and the power of man's human reasoning mushroom, you know, and it spawned a lot of different philosophies. But then it said the Re Reformation brought a return to scripture alone. Mm is the foundation of Christian theology and with its, with a critique of natural theology. And I like the way they put it. And he mentions uh, Luther taught there are two kinds of knowledge, a general, and a, then he goes into the, uh, that all men possess and a particular knowledge of God as Savior. 
And then he says, general revelation, transmitted knowledge of God according to law, but only the word of God reveals. He, and he talks about the, the example of the uh, human, uh, the elephant. You, know, you can bring yeah. five individuals together that are blindfolded and put them in different parts. And each one of them will describe what they're feeling. You know, the trunk, the legs, the, 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 the belly, the tail. I mean, but they're, they're all right, but they're yet they're all I guess wrong or their, 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 their truth is not fully complete. It's not, it's not the full truth. It needs something additional to, to reveal the full truth or to reveal more of the truth of what, uh, uh, of, of the, of that's been revealed. So I go back that, you know, this, you gotta, you gotta go back to scripture. You gotta go back to scripture, uh, and use God's truth to 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 uh, complement what is we see in with the natural uh, revelation. Yeah, and that, that that's I'm glad you brought that up because that was excellent. There, I think Beaky made a a great point. He he just blew that out of the water because you know you have these people who say you know the one is feeling the 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 trunk of the elephant and I think it's a snake and the other one the leg was it's big like a tree and all that and that they're 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 all you know looking at the same thing and analyzing the same thing but they all have their different takes on it but Beaky was like well what if you had someone there who could see the elephant and he tells them no you're not touching a snake that is a trunk of an elephant That's and like, you're not yeah. putting your arms around a tree. That is the, the big leg of an elephant. Yeah. And Beaky says, that's what we have with the word of God. We have a word. We have God telling us who he is. So, so we don't have to grope in the darkness for all of this. Yeah. I think that story is, is helpful. He uses it later in the chapter on religious pluralism, which again, I think is where it's most often used in terms of, well, everybody's got a part of it, right. Which illustrates the fact that ultimately religion is an internal, uh, is an internal, uh, devotional emphasis. Uh, but I, I think it's also true, even though he doesn't particularly emphasize it here. I think it's also true in this, in the excursus or the argument on, on natural theology in terms of particularly around Calvin, everybody's got a section of Calvin they want to hang on to. And, um, I don't know. Um, it's not special revelation, but there at some point there is no authoritative word there. It's just whatever yeah. our interest is. Right. And speaking of that, let's move past the excursus and let's move into just what you're talking about, Marvin. Let's go into special revelation and 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 basically just to try to pick up on our time here a little bit. I'll just ask you to uh, what really stood out to you in, in this chapter, but but I also have uh, one thing I do want us to address, and it is the issue of, of revelation. How does uh, an infinite God? address finite man man how how can there be uh, a connection there how does how does god uh do that how how can we receive revelation from god who is infinite as he reveals himself i think ultimately you would say it's christ mm -hmm. uh i mean that's it i mean the incarnation uh is the way that we see the the way that god in as the writer of hebrews says in many in many and diverse ways and times uh, has revealed himself, but now he's revealed himself once and for all in his son. And I think that's what we see there is the incarnation basically answers that question uh, in terms of developing a point of connection between God and man, between uh, the divine and the human in that sense, and sending someone who's fully divine and, and fully human uh, 
Um, I think that that's, uh, I, I think that's, uh, and I think he also says um, uh, that behind that, or not behind that, well, yeah, maybe in a sense behind that, uh, as a way of understanding, uh, it's the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. The Trinity tells us that God is relational. Uh, by very nature, the uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as as uh, Jesus says in John's Gospel, uh, they all have a vital role to play in His mission to the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that not only are, is it relational, but it also I think guides our understanding of the saving purpose of Christ. Christ does, and again, this is where. Christ uh, incarnation become as we see basically later in the liberalism, uh, it can become a wax nose that you know fits our face. Uh, we can right. we can shape it in any way we want to, uh, but again, I mean it is the way, both objectively and subjectively, uh, that God uh, enters into our history. And by the way, not only does He objectively save us from our sins through the work of Christ on the cross. But subjectively, actually, by raising Jesus from the dead, by his Holy Spirit who's given to us, actually mold us and make us in a way that that is the continuation of the mission of Christ um, in his heavenly session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we think about, you know, God too revealing uh, himself to us, I know we, we've got a lot of theological words here you know, compliments of Van Til and I'm sure others before him, yeah. but, uh, you know, you have, uh, uh, univocal and equivocal, right. uh, you have, um, analogical, mm. uh, you have, I think what Beaky used, uh, archetype and egg type. Mm. Uh, and so basically what all of those things are saying is that, okay, as God reveals himself to us, he can reveal truth about himself to us in a way that he understands it but we are not going to understand that truth in the way he understands it. But yet there's not so much of a disconnect that we cannot understand that. truth. And and just as an example, I mean, you take Mike Thompson as, as wonderful as Mike Thompson is when Mike Thompson sits down at his desk and he's reading his Bible and he reads in his Bible, a propositional truth. God is love. Well, the God who revealed that God himself understands that truth in such a way that Mike Thompson will never understand it because Mike is not God. Right. But yet Mike can understand what it means when God says God is love. He just can't know that truth exhaustively like God does. So there is that analogy. There's that analogical uh, sort of derivative knowledge of God. It's the difference between the, the, the archetype, the knowledge that God has of himself and the ectypal knowledge, the knowledge that we have of God. We, we can't understand the truth that God reveals about himself to the degree that God does because God is God and his knowledge, it, it is full, it is perfect, it is wise, and he understands these truths to a, to a degree of comprehensibility that we will never understand because he is a creator and we are the creature and there's an infinite distance between us, even, uh, and I, say, I would say, even, especially as a, in our knowledge, but yet it, there's not such a disconnect that we can't understand the truth of what he reveals. I think analogy is absolutely, is absolutely not only valid, but it's important. It's the only way really. And that's why, <clears throat> That's why one of the most powerful tools of hermeneutics we have is the analogy of faith. 
uh, it pays attention to the fact that God speaks clearly. And we, it, he comes into this in the last chapter of our readings, which doesn't look like we're going to get to, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but again, I mean, it's the, it's the fact that God is, uh, the perspicuity of scripture as the theologian says, or, or another way of saying that is just the clearness of scripture. Um, mm. it's clear, uh, it's clear, uh, in what it affirms, uh, and the portions that are most important for us to understand that make us, as Paul tells Timothy, wise to salvation are absolutely infallibly clear. Uh, yeah. the other parts, the other parts that are not so clear, uh, we trust God, uh, the God who has inspired all of scripture that to use the analogy of faith and to say, okay, because the same God inspired it all, even though he used different voices, different men, different cultures, different times. Uh, yet it is the same truth. And so in that case, we feel, we feel justified and we, and we, we, we rejoice in the fact that we have the analogy of faith, whereby we can see where God speaks more plainly on a matter that seems to be not so clear in a particular place. Uh, and then to, uh, and then to understand that point in light of the clearer point. Uh, and right. again, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful doctrine, uh, as, uh, Beaky says, um, uh, of the, of the reformation, uh, is the fact that it gets us out, not only from the hegemony of the Roman Catholic, uh, hierarchy, uh, and, uh, the, uh, and the infallible voice of the church, uh, but also of the subjective nature of theological liberalism as well. Wonderful. The hegemony. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mike, uh, just, just to, to throw it to you, he, he talked about so much in this chapter from the way that God reveals himself to us, how a finite creature can understand it. He talked about the different ways of, of revelation, how God gives revelation to man with so much here. I mean, what really stood out to you? What was the one like sort of big punch that you, you, you got out of this? Okay, uh, the one big there, there, there's a lot, but I yeah uh, yeah there is out at me, and the one and I, I may have heard it in the past, but it you know it didn't really sink in. So the way he laid it out and the explanation, it was kind of like you know wow or aha, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when, he, yeah. when he was talking about the the divine uh, theophanies, and he was talking about mm. the angel of the Lord. Yeah. And what, and you know, maybe I've heard it, but you know, I always seen the, the angel of the Lord as a messenger. Uh, but then he went on, and, and on page 273, uh, and down towards the, the bottom, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared in uniform for at times we read of holding a sword in his hand. For all these reasons, it seems best to understand that this divine angel of the Lord is a manifestation of the pre incarnate Christ sent by the Father to mediate salvation. I never, maybe I'd heard it, it didn't sink, but the angel to be a pre-incarnate Christ, I, I, I just, I said, wow, I'd never, uh, if I'd heard it before, I, it never stuck. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it, yeah, it, to I, me, that yeah, I think, I, I think, it, I think that's a great insight, Mike. And I think uh, uh, it really just shows that at the critical junctures in, in time, even though Christ has not been incarnate yet, we yet see these manifestations or uh, theophanies of what God is going to do in Christ. And Christ just shows up for a guest appearance to use today's <laughs> parlance, uh, to, to use today's TV analogies. Uh, but again, uh, 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 like in the case of Joshua, 
uh, at a critical point in the life of Israel. I mean, they're battling tooth and tongue by uh, and, and prevailing whenever they would fully trust God and and not when they didn't. Uh, but again, at, at, at a critical point, uh, the angel of the Lord shows up. And uh, um, and again, uh, you see, basically, it's always a pointer forward uh, to the fuller work of, of Christ uh, incarnate. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I'll just share real quick that, that, that um, and it kind of goes back to the, the, the first chapter we're talking about, but when it talks about the uh, supernatural verbal revelation of, of God's word, uh, but it, um, he talks about in there that uh, this expression implies both a direct revelation and then he, he references Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Jeremiah about what, you know, uh, the thus saith the Lord. But it, it even says it implies a direct revelation, but an inner compulsion to speak to others. So, I mean, we, to, we, we as believers have a responsibility. I mean, uh, we have the, we, we've, been, we, we've had the supernatural revelation of God's word uh, uh, to us. But inherent with that is responsibility. And we should have a fire, a drive, an essence that, in our soul. We should have a joy to want to go out. And we, that compulsion to take God's word that's been revealed to us and share it with others. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Very good. Very good. Now, now just, just a little sort of tidbit detail, uh, just to know Marvin Jones and I might have the privilege of being able to sit down with a guy who has just written a book on the angel of the Lord, right? As a matter of oh, fact, yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to try to email him. His name is Doug Van Dorn. He's part of RBNet and yeah. uh, he should be at the general assembly. So I'm going to, uh, I was going to tell you that later oh, on. Barbara. Oh brother, if you could, if you, if you can hook us up, I'll owe you a big one, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he's written a lot of interesting stuff. And so we, uh, we, we love to just be able to, to sit down and just get a, a data dump of, of all of that. And no I doubt. believe that, that was his latest book he's written. It was, it was, it was the angel Lord. And I, if, if I recall, he co-authored it with Matt Foreman, who's also yeah. going to be there. Yeah. Which uh, I think the book that he wrote before that was, uh, a, a biblical, I forgot what the title was, but a, a biblical evaluation of conspiracy theories so you know oh, yeah. you know that's some interesting stuff right? I, I, I don't have that one <laughs> but uh that's interesting all right well let, let, let's move right along and we we do we are going to have to sum up these chapters real quick but he he goes into in the next chapter uh errors regarding special revelation and uh and i'll just throw this to you guys i'll just sort of uh launch this by saying basically he takes two large things and basically says you, you can generally find most of the errors regarding uh, the Bible within these two. It's either number one, sort of an ecclesiastical thing like the Roman Catholic church will elevate the magisterium will elevate men to the level of being over uh, the Bible. And so they'll give their pronouncements on it. They'll give, you know, what the Bible is saying, what the Bible is not saying. And, and it puts man over the Bible in that way, sort of in a religious way. And then the other way he says it happens is in the secular way where man's reasoning is exalted over the word of God. And so now the word of God is meant to be called into the dock as it were. And, and the judge is man's human reasoning. And so he says with both of those, you just get a plethora of different errors 
that come out of that whenever uh, the church is above the word of God or man's reasoning is above the word of God. And all of that should be subservient to the word of God. So let me just, with, with that sort of as an introduction to, to these two chapters, it's part one and part two on these errors. Uh, what what were your observations on this? And I know Marvin, you you kind of uh, uh, trafficked in this world in the, in SBC life right. with the liberalism and the modernism that was there. And, and early on, you know, you really saw that it even being fleshed out at Southwestern. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, yeah. The latter one, the liberalism, and and I'll take that for the sake of time here. Uh, the liberalism, yes. Um, it's interesting, though. Uh, I would say in terms of the controversy uh, of liberalism versus conservatism, which is a broad, broad tent to spread over it all, because I think even Beaky says that it's not really as black and white as that. Uh, but I think in the terms of theological liberalism that he's talking about in this chapter, uh, it, is a it is a philosophical response and a theological response to Immanuel Kant. I mean, we don't have time to flesh out Kant here, but Kant basically says, and it was a, an argument that everybody felt stymied by, that they felt like they hit a wall. Um, uh, as Kant said of David Hume and his skepticism and empiricism, he says, uh, he says, uh, Hume awoke me from my dogmatic slumbers. Uh, in other words, in the sense that, uh, that sense experience is the basic, is the basic way we gather knowledge. Kant says that, um, that there are two types of knowledge, and this is important, uh, going forward is that there's the, the knowledge, the, uh, the, the, the phenomenal knowledge of the world. And that is the world in itself, the things that can be investigated by normal uh, not only scientific, but rational means. And then he says the noumenal aspect, which is what we would call the realm of spirit, that which is metaphysical or beyond or beyond uh, or beyond the world. And he says that uh, he's convinced by Kant in this and the fact that there is a wall there that we can't approach to. Uh, he says that we cannot get beyond that. Now, he doesn't affirm. He does not affirm um, as Beaky does. Um, the doctrine of special revelation, but Kant does say, uh, that, uh, that basically, uh, we we're hardwired really to understand ethics. We understand uh, what he calls the categorical imperative that all of us have an innate, uh, basically our wire, our minds are organized from birth as such that we understand uh, the ethical obligations we have to each other. And, and it also is an innate uh, uh, sense uh, of dependence there in a sense that uh, even though there is, we have this sense uh, that there is something out there, we don't have the means to know that. And he, he basically would say that that's where it ends that basically that sense of dependence and that's where Schleiermacher for instance picks up on that this religion to him is the uh or the uh, god is the uh, whatever is uh, that which uh, to which you are absolutely dependent uh and would say that 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 religious sense or that inner sense uh is the very core of religion and so it can be fashioned into anything uh, mm -hmm. uh now i don't think Schleiermacher would say that uh, Schleiermacher was not a, uh, 
he was a Lutheran, but I don't know, a particularly Orthodox Lutheran, but again, he, he starts, he starts down this road and I don't think he would say that, but what we see as Beaky well illustrates in ensuing generations is ex it's exactly that, which is at the very heart of this, to what degree can we know God from inner experience? Mm -hmm. uh, Kant would say it's the only way we can know him. Uh, and would, therefore, we cannot say a definitive thing about him uh, with certainty um, because of that barrier. And uh, the, the, religious the religious liberals would say, okay, that's true. And so, therefore, whatever whatever is a matter whatever is a matter to you of uh, this inner sense of absolute dependence, uh, which hopefully would be the biblical God. And I think Slymarker would argue for the that it should be the biblical God, although he wouldn't insist on it, mm -hmm. uh, is that it should be, it, it, is that's what it is. And from there, I mean, we basically see not only liberalism, but we see basically all religious discussion, non-evangelical discussion from that point, basically blossom from that and take all kinds of different forms, even in its most extreme form today of the word of faith, uh, of the word of faith kind of thing. Um, where uh, spirit is superior to word and in some cases doesn't even need word. Uh, what the spirit says is immediate. What the spirit says is to be, uh, is to be trusted. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, in all fairness, I would say, you know, you, you should apply the word to it and you should evaluate it by the word. But where there's a conflict, where there, where you need a tiebreaker, spirit always, spirit always trumps word, um, mm -hmm. and I think that that flows uh, even in what, in what we would call evangelical world, in, in the evangelical world, that, that flows from this uh, old religious liberalism. I'd say even today, Van and I, as Van, as, as you and Mike and I were um, going through the discussion of current trends in the SBC, I know. Van, you and I have had this discussion a lot of times. Basically, this is just a repackaging of it. It always shows up in some different form. Mm -hmm. uh, social justice now is a new, uh, it's a new sense of obligation. It's a new sense of dependence that we have uh, that is amorphous, undefined, uh, but which actually guides our actions, not in a way that is, that is informed or instructed or even uh, disciplined by special revelation, uh, but that which is just, it seems inherent in itself, it, obvious. Uh, if you, uh, if you uh, argue with one of the young SJWs in the denomination, they'd say, it's just obvious. I mean, how, how could you deny it? And they read this off from the culture just as Slymark did. So again, it's just same song, second stanza. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I got one quick question for you, and then I want to get Mike in on these uh, these errors regarding, you know, the Word of God. I remember asking this in seminary when I was doing uh, uh, one of my classes. It wasn't Russ Bush Christian philosophy class because, uh, frankly, I was too scared to ask a question in that class. You were, <laughs> but, you were not. It sounded like it sounded like you know the same Russ Bush I did. Yeah, people were ser seriously intimidated by that man. Uh -huh. But in one of my other classes, uh, they describe this 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 partitioning wall, like you, like you, you did a great job of describing it between the phenomenal, which is the the experiential, the 
the the things that we we can know through uh, through our our senses, and then you have the noumenal over here, which is the supernatural, which is anything that pertains to that, and and we can't have any knowledge of that, and that's that's kind of what Kant is famous for that 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 dividing wall right there. <laughs> but the thing is, is as we were going through it, my professor and even the book we read would would it uh, a few times accentuate the point that that Kant saw that the noumenal, this stuff that supposedly we can't know anything about, was good for the morality of man, was good oh, for yeah. the moral ethic of man. So my question to my professor was, okay, if we can't know this supposed truth or these things over here on, on the, the noumenal, I call it the nominal, but the noumenal side of, of the fence, then how, if we can't have knowledge of it, how can it be good for us in a practical way? And I don't remember getting a satisfying answer from that. And I was, uh, you know, it kind of jumped off the page at me as I was reading Beaky. He yeah. said the same thing. He actually yeah. pointed that out too. Yeah. So how does that work? How, if, if he says we can't know this over here, but yet he's, he's basically saying, but the knowledge of this is helpful to man. How, yeah. I, I think, I, I think, the, I think he does that by basically taking uh, a, a point. And this again is where the religious liberals like Harnack and, and these guys that were extreme rationalists—that's where they would—where they would take it. Um, I, I think he would say that it's helpful in the sense that it gives us that it gives us an ethic, an ethics that is not dependent upon the phenomena. In other words, not dependent upon sense experience, um, but that it derives from what he would call the categorical imperative, and that is that we basically we all have. We all are born with basically categories in our minds, you know, I don't, whether they're hardwired physically into the brain or not. He doesn't get into that because, of course, again, he doesn't really, wouldn't really know anyway. So, but this idea that it's good for us in a sense that it does give us an ethical framework. And, and that's where the theological liberals would say, I mean, that's the most important part of the Christian story is just the ethical framework of it. It, it is helpful in that sense. Other than that, uh, you can take it or leave it. It's not that helpful. It basically is divisive. And so in that point, then let's take that, which we know evidently to be the, the truth. I think that's the way in which you could say it's helpful. Um, and w without actually trying to infer anything more out of the noumenal world or the, the unknowable God than that uh, is a fact that the, the traces he's left in creation as we would observe it. Uh, in the categories in which basically uh, our minds work. Now, can we and can we reason back from that as in the classical arguments that, okay, where did that design come from and so forth? I mean, Kant doesn't take that on, but if you wanted to take that on, you could. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, Mike, so many errors here concerning the word of God, so many attacks, whether man, uh, puts uh, a certain thing over the word, like a, a group of men, a magisterium, like the Roman Catholic church, or whether a man says secular reasoning, you know, reasoning detached from God is over the Bible. So what, I mean, what do you make of all these errors? Um, I guess in a, <clears throat> in a nutshell, what I make of all these errors, it's, it's, um, um, man thinking, man making himself, um, above God, you know, mm -hmm. so like, I, I know better because I, I'm feeling this, I'm sensing this. So right. that's what I see is man, man or institution placing themselves over the word of God or over God 
as well. I know more about God. My subjective and objective thinking are, 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 are above what God, God's knowledge, God's wisdom. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I guess that's it in a nutshell. I mean, I, yeah. I look at the, what they're talking about with the, the Catholic Church. And, I, and it just brings back, uh, you know, when I was reading this chapter, the, the first part, it just brought back, you know, uh, what I experienced with my mom as far as when she was asking about all the traditions and customs. You know, she wasn't referring to them as tradition and customs. She was referring to them as part of the, the, the faith and a necessity. And I, and I said, and I, I, I highlighted to her, those are just mm-hmm. traditions and customs. It's the word of God. It's important. Yes, traditions and customs are important, but they don't drive. They shouldn't be the main focal point of, of faith. That is God's word. And so, I mean, I so that kind of hit home with me uh, uh, that, that uh, man knows knows more about God's word than God. So, I mean, it's, yeah. Amen. Yeah. I think I think bottom line, that's that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let, let's move from that and uh, let, let's just move into talking about the Bible and, and, and Mike, if I can start with you, you know, as, as Beaky is talking about, especially in the chapter, the Bible is the word of God. He, he talks about how we actually, uh, how we got the word, what the word is. And, and he talks about the inspiration uh, of scripture uh what is that mike how to okay god in in his mind and again i'm I'm talking in very sort of human terms here god in his mind desires to reveal himself to man and he's going to do so uh using uh various uh things initially but eventually it's going to be inscripturated it's going to be written down how how does he do that how does he use a human being uh, a man to write his word. What, what are all those various things that Beaky discussed in that, you know, as he discussed inspiration? Um, I mean, does God just go into sort of out of his mind in a trance? Is he like a robot, an an automaton and just simply, you know, God is taking his hand like a puppet and and like literally writing a word and then another word. And is that how it happened or did it happen a different way? uh, No, I, I, um, the, uh, you know, God, you know, like, I guess one of the examples is God speaking to the prophets and using the prophets, you know, that he, God is go- using the prophets as his messenger. He gives them the, uh, his, his message. And then what uh, verbally and are written, what they're, what they're sharing is, is the, um, is the, is the, uh, is, as the word of God, this is what God said. This is the word of God. This is the truths. Um, and I mean, I, I was going through this. I mean, it's, uh, I'm trying to review it real quick. I, I generally write notes uh, uh, down. Um, I'd love to have your notebook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that would be good. That would be good. Well, yeah, well, I mean, well let me ask on. you on page 325, uh, he talks about the doctrine of inspiration there. And, uh, well, well, what is that? What, what, you know, when we read the Bible, we talk about illumination and illumination oh, yeah. is something that happens, you know, within the heart of the believer that God will take truth, the truth that he's already revealed, the truth he's already written. He's not adding additional truth. He'll take that truth and he'll illuminate it through his Holy spirit to the heart and mind of an individual so that we're understanding that same truth that he's revealed. We're understanding it better. 
But when we're talking about inspiration and how we got the word of God, that, that, that it was inspired by God. Yeah. Uh, what, what is that discussing? What is that talking about? I, I think that, uh, I think what you're getting at is the, uh, the, the inward, uh, 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 the inward conviction or the inward, uh, the soul of the, of the heart of each individual. And then the, uh, the outward communication, uh, you know, the, uh, of our understanding of the word of God, uh, um, I think that's what you maybe what you're he references that and I'm not sure if that's what you're referring to, uh, but using the spirit, I mean, is we're all indwelled with the same spirit and, and the Holy Spirit is uh, we is we are, I guess, the our maturity level is we are able to handle more and more of the revealed word of God. It's revealed to us and we gain a, 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 a higher or a more in-depth appreciation for what God's word is saying. We may have read that that particular scripture one or two or three times, but each time we read it, we gain uh, uh, additional knowledge on the truth that's contained within the scripture. Um, and right, right, and, that, and that, that's within the realm of inspiration. There, so right. I think it's safe to say uh, all believers can experience. Uh, uh, no, not not inspiration. Sorry, I got this mixed up. Illumination. That's within the yeah. realm of illumination. So all believers can experience illumination, but when it comes to inspiration, that is uh, how God actually had the Word of God inscripturated. So the only ones yeah. who experience that are, are are basically, I mean, God Himself does that. He is. Yeah. A, it's it's the opnuestos. It is it is God breathed. You know the Word, and He He divinely oh, moved. Yeah men to be able you know to do that so so that is how we 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 have the word and as, as a matter of fact i think and and Beaky actually brings it out here and i'll, I'll ask you if, if you can talk to this marvin but just about the doctrine of the sovereignty of god and, and human yeah, responsibility i want to talk about that yeah and so so when you have people who cannot understand that or believe that in the realm of God's sovereign providence or in the realm of, you know, sovereign election, but yet for scripture, they will, they will say, okay, well, this guy wasn't a robot. He's using yep. his own mind, his own vocabulary, his words, his writing style, his antecedent education, culture, all that stuff to come to the page and, and write it. But as he's writing it, every word is superintended by God in his sovereign providence in such a way that every single word, that word is the word of God, and yet there is no conflict between the two. How does that work out, Marvin? Well, that's a great point, and 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 I've I've believed for years uh, that the only theological insight—I don't want to, or maybe even use the word framework—that uh, will really not only affirm but conserve uh, the uh, doctrine of inerrancy is a complete belief, is a reformed view of the complete belief in the sovereignty of God. Because really, to affirm that, uh, as Beaky says, we should, and as B.B. Warfield does, he says inspiration is God actually is the dual authorship of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture, and that's what preserves it from error. But the Holy Spirit uh, speaks through uh, men in many times in many ways through all the, the periods of history, he speaks to them in a way that not only is infallible, but inerrant, uh, in terms of not only revealing himself to the readers of whatever the writer has to do, but is also timeless in the sense that it speaks to us as well. Now that, uh, that requires that we have a 
a, an extraordinary view of divine providence in the sense mm-hmm. that we see God in every, uh, controlling every aspect of that. And I don't see, and I think to some degree, again, I'm going to make a rash, I hope it's not a rash statement, but, or unfair, uh, but to some degree, I don't in, in theological frameworks or theological insights that don't affirm that they're very often the ones under which the, uh, the, the doctrine of scripture crumbles, um, if not through the doctrine of inerrancy to which they can, to which they can give lip service. But what we see now is the sufficiency of scripture. Mm-hmm. It's not just the fact that God speak without error. I'll say this, and I know we're running out of time, but th- this was the, this was the trick at Southwestern when I was there <clears throat> that got, they kept a lot of guys on the faculty um, was they wanted to talk about, they wanted to talk about inerrancy in two different ways. Uh, one is they wanted to talk about it in the same sense that the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy talks about it, is that the Bible is in error in, in uh, through the biblical authors and what it says and uh, within within the context of what it says. That being said, it's not a scientific manual, it's not a historical manual, but in the matters where it clearly speaks, it is without error. The guys at Southwestern are many of them, and I'm thinking of one in particular. Again, he'll probably never listen to this, nor anybody that, nor anybody that I know, except maybe Clint Miller. And Clint, I think, would appreciate this or agree with it. Is Steve Lemke? Uh, Lem- Lemke was taken up with existentialism and was enamored with Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. Uh, and so, in that sense of the absolute freedom of the will, uh, absolute maybe a, a strong, but the basic freedom of the will as a, as a part of the image of God, uh, then they have to, when they talk about inerrancy, they have to resort to what they call functional inerrancy. And that is that the Bible is inerrant in the sense of what it's designed to do, not what it says, but what it's designed to do. To me, that's not far off from what Carl Barton and Mel Bruner are talking about as Beaky discusses them in neo-orthodoxy, not far at all from that. And, and I, I would say that neo-orthodoxy certainly was, uh, in, uh, if, if there is a theological insight that drove the theology department of Southwestern, it would be neo-orthodoxy or this idea of crisis theology. So again, bottom line is, I, I don't know how you can affirm and how you can maintain the doctrine of inspiration without really an absolute belief in the sovereignty of God. Um, and, and I, I think to some degree history bears that out. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we are running out of time. So I think we need to try to uh, land the plane here. So, uh, I just want to read this and I want to get your, your, your final thoughts or final takes on uh, all of this, um, this material that we've looked over and we, uh, there's been some really, really good things that really merited speaking of, but we just don't have enough time. And so, right. and, and we didn't want to slow down on our reading progress and delay this because we couldn't, uh, kind of meet last time and do this podcast. But, uh, but with that, let me just read this. It's on page 329. It's at the end of the paragraph before the final one on the page. And Beaky writes this, the words of the Holy scriptures did not originate from men, but from God. Therefore, we may say that inspiration is the work of the Holy Spirit 
to produce the Bible through human authors so that it is God's word just as surely as the breath of our mouths produce our own words. I think that's really good. So literally we have the word of God in our hands that we read. It is, it is God breathed. God has exhaled. And, and if we could say this, the the exhalation, uh, what he has exhaled is his revealed word to us. That is just how much it is the very word of God. So with that, let me just toss it to you guys, Uh, Mike, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, Final thoughts, final words. Uh, the from all the the chapters i guess the 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 the, uh, the main takeaway is uh, is um you know we there's valuable uh benefit to the 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 study and and the of general revelation uh natural revelation and uh and and specific or supernatural but when it comes down to it it's it's the uh, it's the it's not what man says it's 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 going back to God's word and using scripture uh, as a validation, as a, as a way to say, hey, this is God's truth. Does God's truth validate what, what I'm arriving at? That, that's the take home for me. Wonderful, wonderful. And you, Marvin? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I would say that uh, uh, I'd say it's very, it's very important to us that God has spoken and he's spoken. So I, I remember... <laughs> Uh, this is a crude way of putting it, but uh, I remember as I remember as kids, whenever we would say something to our friend or to whoever's listening, and we'd say something they either didn't want to hear or they they pretend they didn't hear. Uh, our standard reply to that was, "I didn't stutter, and your ears didn't flap." Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now I I take that in the I, I I take that I take that in the sense here. God never stutters, and I think. Uh, Carl F. H. Henry, whom he quotes often in this book, uh, Beaky mm-hmm. does. It's a wonderful. I happen. I don't. I, I happen to come across that series. Now, Henry is is a modern day John Owen in the sense that he's dense to read, but it's it's profitable to read. Uh, yeah, and, and then you're Mark, talking about his six volume God yeah, Revelation. God Revelation authority. authority yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part of that is, and your ears didn't flap. Our ears flap a lot. And I think that's basically one of the themes we see running through this. It's not that God doesn't speak clearly uh, and he doesn't stutter. He speaks, he speaks clearly, he speaks authoritatively, and he speaks uh, in every age. He doesn't, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just wait for Jesus to show up on the stage and boom, there he is. Uh, what is this? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why uh christ can christ can can say confident to the religious leaders uh the scriptures speak of me in other words this is not something that's happened in the dark uh and, and i think that that's what we need to understand uh and i think beaky does a good job of that is to show us that the uh, that special revelation particularly the doctrine of scripture is, is absolutely vital for us mm-hmm. um uh, to know God, uh, and to be able to, and to be able to know rightly about God, which is just as important that our thoughts about God, uh, are not subject to the cultural whims or anything like that. They're stabilized by the timeless word of God so that we can read Paul's letter to the first letter to the Corinthians and see there are a lot of cultural situations like women wearing 
coverings and worship and, and and things like that and we can still draw an authoritative word from that even though he's drawing he's even though he's speaking to a particular situation there so mm-hmm. um i think it's I, I think it's it's a powerful way and i think he's done a good job of bringing us through that i think right right well wonderful well and on that note, we will end it. Uh, as I said before, for those of you who are uh, listening to us or watching us, our church family, our friends, and and maybe others who somehow maybe have come across this, uh, I encourage you get this book. Uh, for those of you who are just listening by audio, I am lifting up a massive, massive book here. And so uh, it is Joe Beakey's Reform Systematic Theology. I would commend it to you. Uh, it, it's a big book, but if you just work through it little by little, you'll be astonished at how how you'll you'll get through it. I, I'm astonished at how far we've gotten so far. And it's just, yeah. you know, a little and, bit and of we the, barely scratch the surface. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so definitely get this book. It has multiple uses. Obviously, the main use is just trying to understand the truth of who God is and his word better. But if you also are running your uh, wife up a ladder that is precariously (laughs) placed and you need something to stabilize it, well, you can take this and you can uh, put it under that ladder a la Mike Thompson. Or a really lopsided table, yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, Mike, would you uh, mind closing us with a word of prayer, brother? Sure. And I just want to clarify that we didn't use <laughs> the, we didn't use Beaky. I didn't use Beaky's book for stabilization. I used like three or four that Kathleen pulled off my bookshelf. Three or four the Texas A and M yearbooks that were oh, thick and heavy. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, after what we they won't, did we won't, we won't tell my we won't tell my uh, Tom Askelin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, right. I, I, I figured okay. you might have used that Richard Gamble book on uh, on the uh, uh, the biblical theology, man. That that thing is huge. But anyway, okay, go ahead, Mike. Yep. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this time we've had in discussion. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for uh, just uh, your truth, your word, Lord, that you spoke and that was uh, captured and written and written form for us to read lord that we have your word your truth lord may we may we cherish your word may we not hide and let it collect us but read it and study it and pray it back to you lord and just uh gain additional insight as we uh, as we uh continue to to mature in our in our walk with your relationship with you that that our love for you would grow uh, as we study and, and read uh, books by uh, uh, theologians and authors uh, uh, who, who expound on your word, Lord, but your word is, is the basis. Your word mm. is the truth. Your word is the, the map and the, and the compass which we need to, to adhere to, Lord, and mm. always remember that it trumps everything else, uh, the, that of man, Lord, that man writes. Lord, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Marvin and Van, and I just thank you for the discussion and and just this time that we've had, uh, it has been enlightening. Uh, and I pray that it would enlighten those that would, uh, that would listen to it as well on, on, on life on stream. Thank you again, Lord, uh, for, for this day, the blessing this day, life and breath and, 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 and for this time for your name, I pray. Amen. 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 Brothers. Thank y'all so much. It's always so encouraging to, uh, to be on here and talk with these things about you all. I, I love you guys. And, uh, 
And with that, I am, it, it is 8.56 and I have not had one drop of caffeine in my body. So I'm going to go remedy that problem. Well, I'm right not, hey, yeah, I'm not as bad as you, but I, I will be making a mad dash to the pot. Uh, to the coffee pot that is for yeah. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that helpful clarification yeah, okay yeah yeah i, I wanted to clarify that uh, <laughs> listen if my, I, I i did i did stutter on that <laughs> if i was more tech savvy i could edit that out but we just gotta right. let it go no, like let, it, let it right let it right uh we we are live aren't we yeah all right yeah. guys y'all take care mm -hmm. all right bye bye, bye.